This has been a, an incredibly difficult week for us as a country. I don't know if it's been um, overwhelming at times for you, but it has been overwhelming at times for me. And multiple times I went to try to post something. Good morning, Brian. And probably six times yesterday I tried to post something and deleted it and cried. You know, well, I cried the one time, but I deleted it like six times. Made a video, deleted it. Uh, because I'm convinced that if I'm speaking out of frustration instead of love, I should not speak at all. So I've been asking the Lord questions. How are we supposed to think as the body, Jesus? How are we supposed to act and live as the body, Jesus? How, how do we engage this, Jesus? And so now it's Pentecost Sunday, I and mean, it's the birthday of the church. It's, it's the undoing of Babel, Genesis 11. All, Let us make a name for ourselves. We'll build a lasting city with a tower, and nothing will be impossible for us. And God sees that this whole project will actually be the most destructive thing humans could do, so he confuses the language and scatters the peoples, and then all these thousands of years later at Pentecost, he gathers these, these Jews from every nation are gathered who speak all these different languages, and as the Spirit of God comes on the, the, the disciple, the 120 gathered in the upper room in one accord, it's totally referring back to the, all the people were with one language, one heart. Now here they're in the upper room with one language, and the Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind, and all of a sudden, what happens, guys? All these languages are poured out, and, and so these Jews from all the known world hear them speaking about what? The mighty works of the Lord in their own language. It is Babel undone. It is a new humanity created with unity. We see later on in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says that what's happening in Jesus is that the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile is broken down and God is creating one new humanity out of all these different divided races, we're being made into one new man. And so the gospel is the end of racism, it is the, is the end of, of power inequities, it is the end of the indignities, it is the end of all these separating and dividing forces. And so it's really hard for me to find that after 2,000 years of claiming Christ, this is such a hard, this is the ABCs of love one another. It's like we're still in kindergarten after 2,000 years, and, and you can say, Tim, hold on now. A lot of us are loving one another. Don't isolate the worst examples and, and decide we haven't made pride. I hear you. I hear you. And that's why I'm trying to measure my words and not speak until I have hope. Because it seems to me that Jesus has the way forward. One of the reasons I love Martin Luther King Jr. so much is because he was seeing injustice in his time and he, he, knew, he knew that the strategies that, that just deepen the divide, that have the us-them, that your group is against my group, I want justice for my group and we have to get your group to stop mistreating, he knew that's just gonna, gonna deepen the divide. And he discovered he had a friend named E. Stanley Jones who was a hero of mine. And E. Stanley Jones had believed so strongly that the politics of Jesus work in real life. That if we, that if we seek to, to heal the divides between us with, with anything other than love, we'll deepen them. If we seek to get people, if to, to manipulate, to control people into doing what they ought, it backfires. And that, and that the, 
The deep danger in this is as we are sinned against, we become sin too. That we become hateful, we become resentful. Or to put it another way, as racism happens, racism becomes formed. The oppressed begin to hate. And so Stanley Jones said, you know what, this Jesus thing works. And a man named Gandhi, who was his good friend, said, I think you're right. This Jesus thing can work. And another man studied this, trying to figure out what to do with the civil rights movement in this country, named Martin Luther King Jr. And he became convinced that Jesus has been ignored as the solution to the problem. And so I just want to pray now for a moment because I really believe Jesus is the answer to this, to this problem and that the gospel has all the resources we need and that our Bible has all kinds of prophetic resources to let justice roll down like a mighty river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. So pray with me. Father, we cry out for mercy for the state of the social fabric of our nation. We ask in Jesus' name for a we mindset. That there is not an us versus a them, but that we really are in this together. Holy Spirit, would you inspire love and forgiveness? Would you inspire, would you place Jesus at the center of our strategies? And would you replace resentment with healing and forgiveness? Would you replace hatred and racism with gospel unity? And I ask God that your people, your people would be frontlines lovers, that we would empathize and sympathize, that we would be with, that we would, that there would be a we, a, a we mindset. Or do you know there's it doesn't help to stand back and criticize. It helps to get involved and, and cry and pray. You want us to be the change that we want to see in the world. And you're the first mover. Now give us grace, God, today as we reflect just a little bit more on what this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit means for us. Amen. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, I, I, I hope I don't take too long. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I want to highlight just a few, a few pieces that were kind of pressing on me this morning. So I already gave you the prelude. The tongues are happening. The, the crowds gather, and they understand in their own language, which is staggering. And the people say, what does this mean? And of course, a few say, they're acting drunk. And then Peter humorously says, hey, it's way too early for that. (laughs) Don't Don't get drunk. Just being clear about that. Don't get drunk even late in the day. Don't get drunk. But that's funny right there. And then he says this. He shouts to the crowd, Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake. These people aren't drunk, but rather this is what was predicted by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Listen to the equality language here. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants. 
men and women alike, and they will all prophesy. I'll cause wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke, and the sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he says this. You want to know where this comes from, guys? He says this. Listen, people of Israel. God publicly endorsed endorsed Jesus of Nazareth with powerful miracles, wonders, and signs, as you well know. But God knew it would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out. Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You. (laughs) You nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death couldn't help, couldn't keep him in his grip. And then, okay, skipping down. Then he says this, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses that now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. God made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It says they are cut to the heart, and they say, what are we going to do? So my, as I was reflecting on this, I thought, how did the, this is the word of the Lord, and a whole lot more. You can read the rest later. This is the word of the Lord. How did these boys get so convinced that they should offer mercy and forgiveness and salvation to those who murdered Jesus? Well, because for the last 50 days, they who had run and denied him, those who had fled, who were his closest friends, who couldn't even watch and pray with him the night he was betrayed, and they all to a man fled. Peter even denied him thrice. Every one of them was restored. Every one of them knew. I failed him, and he didn't throw me away. Every one of them. What's the first word to Mary? Not go and tell those backstabbing rats that I'm back. No, go and tell the disciples, my brothers and Peter, that I'm risen just like I said I would. They knew. They, they, weren't offering the, they weren't offering the people a mercy that they didn't receive. It was because they had been restored that they were able to offer restoration. Shocking, right? And these are Jews, right? They know their Bible. They know their Bible. They know that God is high and holy. They know that God does have a, have a breaking point where, where it's no longer loving to permit sin, but the loving thing is to come down on the sin. They know this. They've read their Bible. They know the story of Uzzah trying to touch the ark to keep it from falling on the ground and God strikes him dead. They know the story of, of, of Israelites who rebelled against Moses in the wilderness and God killed them. The ground opened. They know the story of the grumbling and complaining and the sending of the plagues and the snakes. They understand. They've read their book. They know God is holy and they murdered his son. They also know that they just want to love God and that they've been called out, made his special possession of all the peoples of the earth that, that, that lots of nations had tried 
to find God, but had ended up building gods in the image of lesser things. But they had God come to them and call them and make a covenant with their ancestor Abraham. And that when they became slaves in Egypt, he rescued them, he heard their cries. And they are just trying to serve him. And as they've been trying to serve him and just be biblical, their idea of what was biblical had them killing the very one who was that word they were trying to obey, made flesh. They were cut to the heart. This wasn't vague theoretical. Oh, I accidentally killed someone I never met. No, no, no. They killed the one they wanted to serve. You don't just come from all over the world casually to worship God in Jerusalem because you're laid back and chill. It's, if it costs you that much, you can't book a ticket. You know, you're coming on horseback or foot. These people were committed. That's, a, that's an interesting deal to hear. You murdered your God. But it's okay. <laughs> he forgives you. Brothers, it says they were cut to the heart. What do we do? Very simple instructions. Repent. Believe. Be baptized. Be filled with the Spirit. The interesting thing that the disciples had learned is, is so, so core. The judge of all the earth is the least judgmental person you'll ever meet. Just the other day, someone really close to me was saying, well, if Jesus said he's the only way, then I just don't think I can be a Christian anymore. And I'm like, Do you see what you've done? You've twisted his mercy and grace in revealing the way back to the Father. And you've turned it into him shutting the door on everyone who doesn't have the right information. He doesn't say Jesus is the only prayer you can pray to go to heaven when you die. He says, I'm the one that reveals the Father. He's coming to reveal the Father so that everyone can enter in. And my friend is hearing him say, I'm going to narrow the door so only the people who have the right keys and codes can get in. Do you see how that's twisted and deceived? Somebody walk with me here with this. When he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he's not saying, I used to have mercy on people, but now that Jesus has come, I've narrowed it, and everyone will be excluded if they don't pray the right words. Did you know you can have Jesus on your lips, but your heart be far from him? Did you know you can have Jesus on your heart, but you don't have the doctrine yet to understand who he fully is? What's he really saying in John 14? He's saying, show me someone else in human history that reveals the Father like I do. You can't. I just, ah, sometimes I think we, we just, he's the least judgmental person there ever was. And we, we, we image him so wrong. We, we do. We image him so wrong. And then we misrepresent him to the world. I love this. Pentecost Day, the first sermon is, you don't deserve this. He absolutely loves you anyway. His love is unstoppable. Get on in the water. You murdered him, and that didn't turn his heart from you. What else are you going to do that you think is going to turn his heart from you guys? Are you tracking with what I'm saying? 
What is the baptism of the Spirit? It is a baptism of love. Romans 5, 5. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his Holy Spirit out. I'm sorry, poured his love into our hearts via the Holy Spirit. Why? God is love. So when God fills you with himself, he's filling you with love. You know what I think your main job is? Take time every day to let the Holy Spirit fill you with God's love for you. That's your main job. That's your main job. That's your main job. That's your main job. Every, everything else is second level, third level importance to that. His love changes everything. You know what my problem was this week? I was so focused on what's wrong with the world, I'd lost sight of his hope. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be grieving for what's broken. But I'm saying I was so doused in the grief, I had lost sight of the king and the answers. What we were singing this morning is truth. He's the light in the darkness. We have to let his love in for us and for our enemies. Man, I'm going to tell you this just real quick story. Dan Muller was two years old in the Lord, and he was getting ready to play basketball, and this dude walks across the parking lot and gives him a, a track and says, uh, it's really important that you read that. And he goes, looks down, and he realizes it's a salvation tract, and he says, Wow, man, thank you so much. You walked all the way across here to just, you stopped your car and came across just to give this to me. Yeah, man, it's really important. All right, man. Well, I met Jesus two years ago and I've absolutely changed my life. Like, he's the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, okay. The guy didn't seem happy about that. He seemed skeptical, you know what I mean? And so he goes, so, um, so you're saved, huh? Goes, oh, yeah, Jesus is amazing. He changed my life. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. You've been baptized? Well, actually, yeah, I, I have. I, I don't tell too many people this because it's really weird, but I was so in love with him and I read in the Bible I should get baptized. There was no one around and I just needed, I just wanted it so bad. I just, I baptized myself right there. And the guy said, and he goes, I, I don't tell people that because, you know, that's like, that's not, like there's no denomination that tells you to baptize yourself, right? So Dan's like, I don't know. It was good, but it's probably not the way any church will like you to do it. And the guy says, did you baptize yourself in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or did you, did you baptize yourself in Jesus' name? And he says, dude, I was so caught up in the moment I don't remember. I just know that I went down under the water one way, came up and the Father embraced me and we hugged and I've never been the same. He's so incredible. And the guy says, well, then you're not saved. Dan looks right at him and he said, you know, sir, I just thanked you for coming across and doing what you're doing. I changed my mind. I pray you never do this again. You're misrepresenting God and you've lost sight of the gospel. Your doctrine is Lord, not Jesus. So you're so deceived by making your doctrine Lord instead of Jesus Lord that you can't see Jesus himself shining in my eyes. I pray you never do this again until you get right. And he turned and walked and played basketball. Lord, make us that confrontationally truthful. The judge of all the earth is the least judgmental person you'll ever know, and he's looking at the heart, and he's evaluating the, the value of a life. That hand is shaking. Now I can't use it. You know, it says Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Father, the Father sent his one and only Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we've turned that 
into a legal document that we have to get people to sign a contract to pray a prayer to get to heaven instead of the revelation of the Father coming back inside of us so that we become the love that we were made to be from the beginning. That we get filled with who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. I've been obsessed this week with truth. What is the truth? Can you know any truth? Because it seems to me like truth becomes nothing more than facts at the disposal of our little grouping, our little social grouping. And so instead of looking to see if what you're saying is really true, we're looking to see who said it and whether their agenda I feel comfortable with. And then if we don't feel comfortable with it through whatever the resentments and little loyalty issues are, we don't click like. And if we think they're an opinion leader that speaks for my little group, then we click like, even if it's a little off. Because truth is little t truth. And Jesus is engaged in a confrontation with Pilate at his crucifixion. And Pilate, totally filled with cynicism, because he's seen it all. Everyone claims to be innocent. Everyone's selling something, and nothing's real. He's a judge. He knows. And he's a political leader, so he's seen the machine from under the hood. So he says, what is truth? Because Jesus says, I have come into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone who listens to the truth acknowledges me. And the Pilate says, what is truth? Translation, Jesus, truth is a child's fairy tale. Adults don't have the luxury of such fantasies. There's no truth. We're just getting by. And honestly, Lord, he wouldn't have called him Lord. Sir, we've just given up. And Jesus, he could have easily just stood there and said, I am the truth. Because he's not using facts to serve an agenda. He is embodying the truth in his actions and in his love. Because what's the deepest truth? Where is this, what is the source and origin of all of life, you guys? Love. If God is love, then love is the deepest reality from which everything comes. And as we abide in that reality and manifest that reality, we're living truth. And this is what I meant the other day when I posted, being love is more important or greater than being right. So as we're engaging people in any issue, the real question, the right question is not, how do you fall off the steps? Why do I do that so much? We need a little orange line. The real question in every interaction is not, what's the right thing to say to say what I'm trying to say clearer? The right question is, is my heart genuinely seeking to love the other person? And if it's not, I should stop talking. Right? Because being love is greater than being right. And so the Holy Spirit is the power we need in a broken, fallen world. Years ago, when I bumped into my limitations as a man and as a leader and as a whole, everything else, I started to go after the more, the more of God. There must be more. There must be more. I'm praying with people. Jesus prayed with people, and they got delivered. I'm praying with people, and they feel loved by me, but they're not getting delivered. This is frustrating. The gospel should be working better than this. I doubt the problem is on his end. What am I missing? Right? Anyone with me? So I started to go after more. I noticed that as I went after more, it really ticked people off. I don't know why. And, you know, it could, it could be that I, my tone or my demeanor was involved in provoking unnecessary pushback. But one thing I do know, 
One thing I do know. If you go after more of God, there will be pushback. And here's the problem. If you don't find God, the pushback can break you. So it kind of stopped being about, I want to see people delivered, and it ended up being, holy cow, the level of resentment and accusation being pointed at me, I want to win, and I want them to lose. This is bad. So then it was, not only do I want to see miracle signs, wonders, prophetic words, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fullness of all the stuff that's supposed to be operating in the church, now it's cut it down to as simple as this. If you don't baptize me afresh in your Holy Spirit, I'm going to become something other than love. And I'll radically misrepresent you, and that will be a horrible failure. Because I will have said, let's go after revival. And then I would have turned around and yelled at people, you guys aren't doing revival right. That's not revival. Revival is if everyone sins against you, you you still love. Revival is if they curse you, you don't have to zip your lip and try hard not to curse them back and then smile and act Christian. It's you genuinely cry for them and you really love them and and you really are okay. You really are okay because the yes of God has displaced your need for the yes from humans. That's why the baptism of the Spirit is not optional but essential. Jesus says, you guys have been with me three years. You've seen all my miracles. You've heard all my teachings. You've actually done the stuff. You didn't just see me do the stuff and explain, hear, heard me explain the stuff. You did the stuff, right? Jesus' method of teaching is not rows of classes and then an exam that you all cram for so that you can forget it all next year but graduate to the next class up. No, his, that's our school. His school is, I'll show you what I do. I'll tell you how to do it. I'll let you try it, and then you'll fail a little, and we'll talk about it, and we'll get better and better at it as you are doing what I am doing in normal life. These people who were with him three years, he says to them at the end of it, don't start yet because you're naked, but... Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. Because when he comes, you will be clothed with power from on high. And then you'll be my what? Notice how he didn't say you'll be my lawyers. If you're a lawyer, it's your job to arrange the data to win the case. You are on, off, you are on attack mode. If you're a witness, you have one simple job. You sit in there and you tell the truth about what you have seen. And that's enough. And they'll make up their own mind. And you have no control over what they're going to do with your information. But you've done your part when you've said, I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I know this. I committed adultery. They were going to kill me. Jesus had mercy on me, and I feel, for the first time in my whole life, loved. That's just, a t- we can do this. We can do this. We're not responsible for what other people do, but we are responsible to love well. And the Holy Spirit is the power that makes His love more than a message outside of us that we sing about. It's a reality inside us that we live by. It, it, the, the, the wellspring opened 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Day. 
But now the watering hole, I don't, so terrible, I don't know. Give me the right metaphors, Lord. The reality is Jesus encourages us in Luke 11 to keep going after the Holy Spirit. More, more, more. I love the Pentecostals because they teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one thing I don't like about that sometimes is the idea that it's like, oh, I got tongues, so I'm filled. Okay, but are you filled today? This, was a, this is a gut check. When's the last time that you just randomly were filled with such love for a stranger you stepped out and took a risk to pray for him or speak kindness to him or give something to him in his name? Because what I've noticed is the less filled with his love I am, the more filled with my little narrative about my life and my pain and my hurts and my story and my feelings. And I walk right past those people and I just don't even notice that somebody just pitched a beautiful pitch right over the plate slowly. And all I had to do was swing. I didn't even see it. But when I'm filled with his love, filled with his love, then it's not like my life and my story is all resolved yet. But I'm walking by faith. And that resolves my heart's... I don't know how to... I, just translate for yourself what I'm trying to say. Because I don't know how to say it the right way. But I know that it's like... When I, one of the signs that I am receiving is love and I'm receiving the infilling of the Spirit is I swing at those pitches because I have something I feel I have to give. Instead of looking at them going, my life stinks too, I just go to church. Poor, poor me. <laughs> poor me. Oh. I think I'm done. Love you guys.